Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. Do you ever feel that you want to take your health and overall life to the next level, but don't know where to start or how to stay accountable to your goals? Joining us today is Michael Trugman, a New York-based health coach. Michael works diligently to help support his clients in achieving their health and wellness goals. His mission is to provide the support, accountability, knowledge, and safe environment for his clients to find a customized strategy that works for them to create their new reality, a life where they wake up each morning with purpose, energy, and excitement. We all have areas of our lives that we can optimize, and Michael shares comprehensive tips and exercises that we can all benefit from greatly. Get ready to take your life to the next level. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to talk with you today. How are you doing? Hi, I'm very good. Thank you both for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, and we're super excited to have you. And something that we spoke about before you came on was that it's so interesting that since we were all in high school together to where we are right now, the wellness and health industry has completely exploded. And there's so much more interest in taking better care of our bodies now than there was before. And so I'm curious to know a little bit more about your background and what led you to pursuing a field in the wellness industry. Yeah. Well, to that point, I never took care of my body growing up and I I never thought that I would be in this field. So when I was younger, I really had a bad diet. I just, I ate the standard American diet and I was very active. So I played sports and stuff. And with that regard, I took care of my body, but I was eating pizza. I remember I used to get Domino's all the time with my friends and like that was my go-to meal. Like every weekend I'd be having that. So it took me a long time to get to where I am, but I actually began my career in public accounting and also not very conducive to a healthy lifestyle. And after a few years of doing the busy hours and working till midnight, it didn't feel sustainable to me. And my body, it started to catch up with me. So I was not sleeping well. I would drink five cups of coffee to get through the day or, or even take Adderall. And I was just doing a ton of harm to my body. And that eventually led to me gaining weight. And it started as kind of a superficial, I just want to look good. I did want to feel better, but it was mostly just to look better. And in the beginning, I had a lot of frustration with finding the right approach to work for me because I had no idea. But as a kid, I didn't have any sort of good principles to fall back on or any good habits. So I didn't know what to do. I would go on very restrictive diets and then I'd get frustrated at the lack of results within a month and then go back to my other way of eating. And it took me probably two years to finally find approaches that worked for me. And once I started to treat my body better, I became super passionate about it. It was like like I found this invention that was never around before. I, I felt like a completely new person. And because of how much nutrition and, and lifestyle change affected my life, I felt compelled to then make it a career where I wanted to help other people go through the same change 
and avoid the pitfalls that I had to go through. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I feel like sometimes we have to go through our own troubles in life to make us realize that it's something that we feel so empathetic towards other people who may be struggling with the same issues that we tend to choose a career path along those lines. And I'm curious, what changes did you start making from that like restrictive eating to maybe getting off your plan? What were some changes that you found that really worked for you? Well, one of the, and this is one of the principles that I teach now to my clients. It's the, the concept of crowding out. So instead of trying to just eliminate all of my bad habits right away, I just implemented like, okay, maybe once a day I'll have a salad or even to go simpler than that, like just once a day, I'll have a little one vegetable, just something that is moving myself in the right direction because anything in the right direction is better than nothing. So I kind of ditched the all or nothing approach to things and just said, I'm going to do a little bit better today than I did yesterday. And once I started to see the results, then the things that used to taste really bad to me then became like broccoli, for example, was a food that I just never would have touched with a hundred yard pole. And once I started to get more used to it, then I developed a palate for it. So it really just started with taking a, a small step in the right direction. And then from there, building more and more wins. Because if you don't start there, then you're, you're never going to start at all. Yeah. And that's a really great approach because I mean, so many friends of mine that have wanted to start leading a healthier life feel that they have to go all or nothing and that they have to make these huge drastic lifestyle changes that in their minds, they don't think they could fully commit to. And then that discourages them from making any changes at all. So I think it is really smart to pick you know, a few small changes every day or every week that you start to implement. And then over time, you'll look back and you'll be amazed at how far you've really come. Exactly. It's a good approach to really anything that we do in our life. And for some reason, we don't really do that with food. We go on a diet that we can't wait to get off and it becomes a very vicious cycle. I don't know the exact statistic, but I think it's something like 90% of people that lose weight on a diet eventually gain most of it back. So it's very important to find something that you think is sustainable. And if you're really excited to get off a diet that you're on, then it's probably too restrictive for you. Definitely. And I was actually listening to a really interesting YouTube video yesterday on intuitive eating. And she was talking about, there was a study done and they found that Americans were most likely to go on restricted diets They didn't actually enjoy their food and they were the sickest and our obesity rates are the highest. Yes. It's really astounding. It's astounding. And I think by 2030, with the current projections, obesity rate is supposed to be something like 70% of Americans. And that's not just overweight, that's obese. And that's why I think given the amount of resources America has and all these diets, all these gyms, all these different things out there, all these huge grocery stores, it's shocking to think that even with all of our resources, such a large population of ours actually struggle you know, to such an extreme. It is. It really is scary. But we're surrounded by it everywhere we go, right? It's very easy to fall into the trap of eating the convenience food. An airport, for example, I thought to myself how big of an opportunity there is for some sort of health food store to or health food type of restaurant to get into an airport because everywhere you turn there, there's McDonald's, there's fast food. It's You have to work very hard to eat healthy when you're traveling. You know, I said you definitely do. Airports are definitely a challenge and traveling in general. I think that a lot of times when somebody might go on a vacation, especially now that it's the summer months, they feel like it's a free pass to just eat whatever they want. Yes. 
for sure. It's not just airports either. It's really anywhere you go. Like I live in New York City. In New York, there's plenty of healthy options, but there's also 10 times more unhealthy options that are available. And when you go to something like a Dwayne Reed, where most people do their convenience shopping, you get all of the unhealthy protein bars with the, the added sugars in them. And it's with all the different information being thrown our way, we're bombarded with information. It's very hard to make the right choices for yourself. Definitely. And I think another pitfall that a lot of people have is listening to their hunger cues, especially like you said, we're always surrounded by food. Even if you look on Instagram or television ads or restaurants and the portion sizes, we're always surrounded by food, which makes it harder to listen to your body and your hunger cues as to when you're actually hungry. Yeah. And I'm guilty of this sometimes too. People will eat when they're bored. It's just something pleasurable to do rather than being in tune or in sync with their body, it's seeking the dopamine hit of having a a pleasurable, palatable food. Definitely. And especially now, you know, with so many people spending months at home, the boredom levels are at a new high. What are some tips that you have for limiting our eating when we're bored? Well, one of the easiest things you could do is just optimize your environment. And what do I mean by optimize your environment? It's go in with a plan of, I only want to have these types of foods around so that I can't possibly reach for the other foods I'm not going to have. So in my apartment, I don't have this magical willpower. Even as a health coach, people like to think that I'm more determined or have this crazy willpower. I mostly try and optimize my environment. So I don't have cookies laying around. I don't have different desserts that if they were in my apartment, I certainly would reach for them. So I think the easiest thing to do is to just have some sort of game plan where you know these are some foods that I enjoy. I'm going to make sure that I have these around. And the foods that I enjoy that I don't want to be having, just don't have them around at all in in my apartment, my house, whatever it is. The other thing is to just have a game plan in general, some sort of routine where you're at 1030, you're eating the same thing every day or it's on your calendar to go to the gym at the same time every day. Once you develop the habit, then it becomes habitual and you're not really thinking about, oh, I wish I was having this. You're just so used to the structure that you have in place. So it's, which is easier said than done. I think people a lot of times need help building that routine, but there are a lot of really enjoyable, healthy foods that people probably just aren't aware of. And having those around and avoiding all the other stuff that's not serving you is is a good place to start. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think keeping a clean pantry, a clean fridge and surrounding yourself with foods that can only benefit your life is a really great place to start, especially, you know, when you are spending a lot of time at home. And something I definitely want to speak with you about is, I mean, statistically, we see that women are a lot more likely to go invest in their preventative health than men are. We do see the numbers climbing. And over the past few years, there is an increase in the percentage of the male population that is interested in focusing on their preventative health. But we still do see that a big percentage of the male population doesn't necessarily feel the need to change even if they do. What are some tips that you have on how we could be more open and how we could allow everyone to admit when they actually do need help? That's a really tough one. And I'll say from my standpoint, I'm trying to be an example for other people and talk about my personal difficulties and make it more okay. I think it's just conditioned in our culture for men to, if you want to be perceived as tough, then you don't talk about your feelings. You push all that stuff down, you white knuckle it. 
you keep it inside and talking about it is perceived as weak. So for me, I try and lead by example. I want to talk about the difficulties that I'm having. And I've struggled with any of the different things that any of my clients would come to me with. I beat myself up when I'm not doing well. I look inward instead of talking to other people or confiding in other people sometimes. And I think it's really important. We men and women have different needs, but men definitely need to talk about their feelings and what's going on and have open, safe spaces to, to talk just as much as women do. And I want to be someone who provides that type of space. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you're able to do that, especially for the male population. And I'm glad that we see an upward trend of males going to the doctor and seeing health coaches and really taking care of their health. I'm also really curious, where do you see in general your clients struggle the most? I think my clients struggle the most with finding enjoyment in eating healthy. I think that there's a stigma attached to if you're eating healthy, then it's not supposed to taste good. It's going to be bland, boiled chicken. It's going to be a lot of the things that we spoke about already. It's restrictive. And uh, the quantity is another big one. People think that if you're eating healthy, you have to eat less and you need to basically starve yourself to see the results that you want. And so I try and bring people back to the basics of food is supposed to be, or eating food rather, is supposed to be a pleasurable experience. If you're eating healthy, it should be fun too. So I help people focus on what are some healthy foods that they enjoy. Just make a list of like five to 10 that they enjoy. And everyone, even someone like myself who used to not touch a vegetable, everyone has healthy foods that they enjoy. So start focusing on that stuff and not worry about like, I need to cut it under 1500 calories or worry about all the stuff that they can't be eating. Again, that's like the same thing that I was talking about with crowding out. So worry about the the things that you want to add the first couple of things, rather than all the stuff that you won't be having. Definitely. And I think those are all great tips. Now, eating healthy seems so simple to us, but now, especially with social media and access to technology, there's so much misinformation out there as well. So if somebody is just starting on their path to becoming healthier, they might be super confused about what is actually healthy just because so many products are sort of mismarketed and there's so many diet trends. So how do you advise your clients to sort of sift through all the information that's out there and actually find things that are truly healthy for their bodies? Well, the simplest approach that you could take is I call it the no foods, the K-N-O-W foods diet. And it's just if you don't recognize the ingredient or it's a long list of ingredients, then there's a good chance that there's something snuck in there that's not healthy for you. So the first thing I would ever advise someone is to try and stick around the perimeter of a grocery store and eat whole foods. If you're buying a protein bar, then there's a good chance that there's other stuff in there that you're not aware of. And most of these products have added sugars and instead of worrying about, should I buy organic? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? If you buy a tomato, you know that you're buying a tomato. You can get into the weeds of like, what's the better option, but that's a good place to start is if you're buying a whole food, then there's no sneaky ingredients added in there. I'm super happy that you mentioned that because that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I feel like, especially in the wellness industry, there are so many packaged products, which if you just look at the front, 
they look super healthy, they have a leaf on the front, or they have a picture of a fruit or a vegetable, but then you turn it around and you look at the ingredients and there's tons of ingredients, all different acids and colorings and things that you don't actually know. And I think it's super important that everyone take that extra minute or two to read the label and actually see what's in the product before they purchase it. Yes. And that's something that I advise people to do too, is to get comfortable with the ingredients label. When I started making my changes, I would only look at the macro portion of it, basically the fat, the calories, the carbohydrates, the protein. I would not look below that at the ingredients label. And now I think it's better to actually reverse that approach is just to get to know the ingredients, worry about the quality that you're getting instead of worrying about the macronutrients, because a lot of products are geared to make those parts look good, but they have a a million ingredients in them. So it's, yeah, to your point, just knowing exactly what's in your food is a really good place to begin. Definitely. And I'm really glad that you mentioned micronutrients because they find now that if we're micronutrient deficient, if you have a sweet craving or a salty craving, it could just indicate that you're lacking a certain nutrient. So I think it is what you mentioned. It is really important to focus on a whole diet approach and make sure you're getting all of your nutrients. Absolutely. It's just as important as hitting the macronutrients. The micronutrients are super, super important part of it. And the best part of it is if you're eating whole foods, you don't need to worry about learning like, okay, what is vitamin A doing for me? What is vitamin B? What is vitamin C? Nature kind of took care of that for us. If you're eating the whole foods, you're probably going to be filling it out with the right micronutrients. So just eat the whole foods. That's the best advice I could give. Definitely. And that's really great advice. Now, an area that I think there's a lot of confusion on is protein. You know, protein's become a huge topic over the past five, 10 years. And you see so many products adding extra protein. And a lot of consumers think that because it has protein, that means that it's good for them. But I also feel that you could potentially be having too much protein as well. What's your take on protein and the ideal amount of protein that an individual should be consuming? You definitely can have too much protein, and there's a pretty big range for what's acceptable, and it depends on what your goals are. So I'll just say from a non-weightlifter's perspective, if you're having roughly 0.5 to 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight, you're probably fine. I think uh, people put a little too much emphasis on needing, like, I've heard up to almost two grams per pound of body weight recommended before, and I think that that is just an insane amount of protein to be having. So if you stick to, on the low end, maybe 0.5 grams per pound of body weight, that's adequate protein. Now, another big topic that I'm sure you talk about with your clients, and you mentioned it a little bit was goals, right? So if they're a weightlifter, depending on whatever their goals are, now it could be a really daunting task. Like if someone is trying to lose a significant amount of weight or build a lot of muscle, and it's really hard to kind of focus on the journey and just focus on the end result. So what are some tools that you use with your clients to kind of help them through the process? To your point, I think it's really important for them to enjoy the journey. So I'll circle back again to the crowding out. I think it's really important that people are starting off with just adding foods into their diet without restricting other stuff. So that's a good place to start. I love that. Now, there are a lot of people who tend to have self-destructive behavior or kind of self-sabotage themselves. And, you know, we see those patterns probably stemming from childhood that goes throughout adulthood. And I'm curious, where do you start with someone like that? 
A lot of times. So I know that you guys are both big on this too. And nutrition is a really important way to address things that we want to correct in our body. But a lot of times with stuff like that, it's really just about having the connection and the accountability of talking to someone. And so it's just as important to feel heard and understood as it is to be with someone that's knowledgeable and understands nutritionally what should be put in the body. So with someone like that, I want to understand where they're coming from and what it is that they're struggling with and how can I support them through conversation and overall lifestyle too. So besides nutrition, what other areas of their life maybe can we help make a difference in? Is it their stress management? Is it sleep? How do they like their job? What do they do for fun? So I like to get a full picture of where someone is. And you know, a lot of times nutrition is we look for the pleasure to cover up for other areas of our life. So getting that whole picture is a really important place to, to begin. Definitely. And we were actually just talking about that. We just finished a five-day fast and we were talking about how we are very healthy eaters, but all of us have an emotional attachment to food. And that's usually the hardest thing when you do eliminate food for a certain period of time is that emotional attachment that you do have to it. For sure. And we all, so like, for example, you guys know Caroline, my sister, yeah. when we were growing up, we used to make those Nestle Toll House cookies when we would watch a movie and the, the peel and bake ones. And I used to have 10 of those in one sitting, or we would make uh, mac and cheese and we would kill the whole box together. <laughs> so those two foods are deeply rooted in my pleasurable experiences of growing up. And it's hard to disassociate yourself from those moments when you were a kid and how much pleasure they brought you, how much comfort they brought you in difficult times. So to unpack that, to have someone help you unpack that really makes a massive difference. It really does. And even, you know, we were talking about it earlier, even just needing that sense of fullness from food. It's like, you kind of look at other areas of your life and you're like, where do I maybe not feel as fulfilled that I need to fill myself with food? Exactly, exactly. And that's what we call primary foods from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is where I went. We talk about primary foods actually being more important than the foods that we eat, which we call secondary foods. So the, the primary foods are like your career, your education. Are you learning about stuff that you find interesting? How are your relationships? How is your home environment? What are some like simple pleasures or maybe around creativity that you enjoyed as a kid that you don't enjoy anymore? So for me, one of those was writing. I really love writing. It's a great form of expression for myself. And we don't typically associate these things with health, but they're just as important, if not more important than the food that we're putting into our body. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you know, in naturopathic medicine, we look at the whole person. And I'm glad that you guys do as well, because as we know, every area of our life is interconnected. And, you know, we see now there's also another big focus on mental health that affects our physical health as well. So I'm glad that a lot more people right now are looking at the whole person and trying to get to the root cause of the problem. Yes, that is the most important thing. Get to the root cause and understand where the person is coming from, because every single person is unique and different. We're all bio-individual and there isn't a cookie cutter approach, one size fits all. There's just so many different ways that we can address each person and each of us needs to be treated separately because we're all very unique. 
Yes, for sure. And I think that it's great to have somebody that you could speak with that could help guide you, especially if you're having challenges in your health and your wellness. And, you know, a lot of people have heard the term health coach before, but they not, might not fully understand exactly how a health coach can help them. Can you walk us through the process and exactly how you're involved in your clients' lives? So this is the example that I would typically give. Someone goes to a doctor and the doctor says, your cholesterol is too high. You should stop eating this, this, and this, and then sends the patient on their way. So they have a sort of a, a clear recommendation of what to do, but then they're kind of stuck with, okay, how do I implement this in my life? I don't know. I kind of feel a little bit on my own. A health coach would be a good person to turn to in that situation for someone to help integrate into your lifestyle the new habits that you're trying to build. Instead of just knowing what to do, which I think a lot of people do, we know what we should be doing. It's how can I get the help that I need, the support that I need to get this working in my life? And also someone who is probably knowledgeable to fill in the gaps on, on the different questions I might have. So a health coach is someone who is knowledgeable in the area of nutrition and lifestyle overall, who can give you more of the attention than, let's say, a, uh, a doctor or a practitioner would be able to give you because they only probably have 10 to 15 minutes of time and they can't actually counsel you through the behavior change. Definitely. And by knowing the whole person's story, you're allowed to be really empathetic and non-judgmental. And you're a source of accountability, which I think is also one of the top reasons that people tend to, I don't want to say fail, but kind of transgress from their routines. For sure. And the other thing about a health coach is a change is, is very difficult and you're inevitably going to have ups and downs throughout your journey. So a health coach is a good person to turn to, to help understand, okay, it's, this is completely normal. I am going to have ups and downs in my journey. And I've been through those types of things before. So someone that can relate to it. I think it's, that's really just as important as anything else is having the kind of the guide to talk you down when things aren't going well, because it's, it's going to happen. There's going to be bumps in the road. But overall, if you're giving yourself a fair shot and working towards it, you're going to get there as long as you keep working at it. Definitely. Now, you mentioned this earlier that you were working in accounting and then you had your own personal hiccups and that led you to become a holistic health coach. But for someone who's looking to make a career change, obviously that can be really problematic. So how did you transition into a different career? I actually, it started with the frustration. I think a lot of change starts from a pain point. We're either running away from something or running towards something. And in the beginning, it was definitely a running away from. I just knew what I didn't want to do and I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I actually started working with a life coach. And my primary goal working with a life coach was to prototype what exactly do I want to do? Because I just I knew I so desperately wanted to change careers, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And at that point, I was already eating healthy and I was pretty passionate about my health and wellness and working out. But I didn't see an opportunity. I, I made all the excuses in my head. The market is saturated. I don't have a unique voice. I'm not going to make a difference. I was very scared to put myself out there. So that wasn't even something I really considered. But in working with a life coach, I was able to work through a lot of my limiting self-beliefs and get really clear on 
who am I? The deep existential questions. Who am I? What is my purpose? What am I really trying to accomplish? And in working with that and starting to confront my fears a little more, I made the decision that I'm really passionate about health and wellness. I don't care if I don't eventually make it my full-time profession. I want to go for this because I think even if I just help one person, then that's a really meaningful experience for me. And that also kind of gave me the inclination to realize how important coaches can be because without working with a coach, I never would have gotten to the point that I'm at. So I think it was a really important investment in myself. And because of the combination of all those things, I knew I didn't like accounting. I saw the huge value of working with a coach and I was super passionate about health and wellness and treating my body the way that it should be treated. That empowered me to want to help other people go through the same thing. I'm really glad that you share that because I see so many people sort of settle in their career. They don't love it. They just clock in and clock out, but they're afraid to take that risk. And I think it's so important to always check in with yourself because you might like your job today, but in a year from now, you're in a different place and you sort of outgrow it. So I think it's really great that you were self-aware enough to realize that you weren't feeling fulfilled in your career and you were willing to take that risk and try out what you truly wanted to do. Yes. Thank you. And I know, Lorena, you spoke about this in your first episode in the comfort in being uncomfortable or the comfort in the discomfort. And that was something that I learned along the way too. And that has become an enjoyable experience for me. So I think part of the problem with people that are sticking to careers that they don't want to be in is it's just easier to be comfortable. And we are not good at throwing ourselves in uncomfortable situations, even though once we do them, it feels really good after. So that was another really important insight to have was it's okay to be uncomfortable and to think, yeah, you're not ready yet to make this big difference in your field uh, in health and wellness. But that doesn't mean that if you don't keep putting yourself out there, you're going to eventually make the change. So I want to help inspire other people to do that as well. Definitely. And it's interesting because I feel like we're surrounded by comfort from a young age in everything that we do. And I think it has a lot to do with our society as a whole and our culture, but even by our parents, just because, you know, if they want to help us. But I think sometimes it's easy for us to get too comfortable that we're scared to go into the unknown. It's very, very easy to fall into that habit. And I do it all the time still. It's it's hard to seek the discomfort. But I actually have a a couple of really easy ways for people to break out of their comfort zone and realize that even the things that you really fear the most aren't that big a deal. So here's two exciting challenges I have to offer for the listeners. One is, I've been doing this recently, is ask for 10% off of an item that you buy at like convenience store or grocery store. So like when you're buying a, a water bottle, for example, it's $3. Put yourself in a position where you're asking for a discount that you're probably going to get rejected for and realize it's not a big deal. You might even laugh about how silly it was that you just asked for 10% off of an item that you would never get a discount for. And it kind of just ingrains the behavior of, okay, I challenged myself. That was actually pretty fun. Like I, I enjoyed getting rejected there. And another one, this is more particularly a New York City type of challenge, and especially in today's climate. It might not be as welcome, but I've been taking walks outside and mostly to doormen who are standing outside, just saying good morning and have a great day to them. 
which in, that's unheard of in New York City. You know, people are always either listening to podcasts or listening to music and keep their head down. And if you say good morning to someone, then they're going to look at you like you have 10 heads. But those are, you know, two really simple ways to break out of your comfort zone and to realize that even if you do get rejected, it's actually kind of a fun experience to push yourself like that. For sure. And those are really great tips. And I feel like those tips are needed now more than ever because when we were growing up, it was still a bit different and we were taught sociable skills from a young age. But now with everything so remote and technology being introduced at such a young age, a lot of people don't have that ability or desire to sort of break out of that safe zone where they could just sort of hide behind a screen. So I think it is important to put yourself out there, try to communicate in a situation that might not be as comfortable and really develop that skill. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, that you'll probably get rejected because I think so many people don't go for opportunities where there's a chance that they may be rejected, but rejection doesn't equate failure. It does not. And failure is often our greatest teacher. I can look back at a couple of the biggest failures in my life and I would not be the person I am or develop the resilience that I have without those failures. It's extremely important to expose yourself to those failures. And they actually become the things that you're most grateful for, probably. They're going to teach you a lot. So it's definitely important to embrace the failures and maybe just even eliminate the word failure and call it lessons learned. A hundred percent. And my favorite example is Oprah when she was trying to get a TV show I think it was like 20 or 30 networks that denied her until someone finally said yes. Yeah, there's countless stories. There's countless. Every single successful person along the way. And the Thomas Edison quote, I'm going to butcher this, but I don't even know the quote, but he said basically that he invented the light bulb, but he also invented 900 or 9,999 other things that never worked. So everyone is they're going to make mistakes along the way to get them to that point where they're standing on the mountaintop. You don't just arrive at the mountaintop. Exactly. There's no overnight success stories, even though the media tries to make it look that way, because typically that person will only become known once they've already made it. There's so many years of of hard work, of difficulty, of challenges, of self-discovery that really propel you to that point. So I think it's important for people to understand that and to not compare themselves to the actual success story, because there was a lot of sacrifice and dedication that it took to actually accomplish those things. Absolutely. And more importantly, too, is learning to enjoy the process along the way. A lot of the people that are already at the mountaintop and experience the success, you'll hear them talk adoringly about the days that they had that tiny office or their first talk where only two people showed up. And if you can learn to enjoy those moments and savor those, then the success is going to come to you anyway, because you're that much more determined to keep building and building and building. That's such a great point. And it's so interesting. I remember when I launched Down to Earth, a lot of my friends were like, that's so cool. You have your own company and they glamorized it tremendously. And then they see me you know, in the city, in stores, crawling under the shelves, locating our bottles, putting them in a nice organized state, you know, getting on the ladder, fixing the shelves, standing and giving out samples. And they're like, wow, this is what you have to do. And I love it because, you know, it's what I'm truly meant to do. And I'm super passionate about it. But to, you know, an outsider looking in, they're like, why would he ever choose to do that? So it is super important to actually enjoy the process because no matter what field you're going into, the early developmental stages are not going to be glamorous by any means. There usually requires a lot of knitting grit. So I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind. 
especially as an entrepreneur, that's going to be the case. That's the part that they don't show on the glamour magazines. It's the part where you're the salesperson and you're building everything from the ground up and you're taking on every single responsibility, putting your all of your energies into building the company. So it is, it is very, very important to learn to love that process. Definitely. And if there's anything that we can all learn now, you know, hopefully we're getting out of quarantine soon, but the importance of being in the present moment. And I think that goes along with enjoying the journey that you're on because we can't control what happened in the past, right? And we don't know what's coming in the future. We can only really be stuck in the present. So I think that's a good opportunity if you are setting goals at this time to just be more present and find little joys within the moments that you're working towards your goals. Yes. And a lot of the simple pleasures in life are free. So they're, they're accessible to anyone. Getting out in nature or thanking someone that you love and really sincerely giving them a, a thank you. Connecting with people that you're close to. None of these things cost any money. They're all extremely accessible, but we're all, we tend to focus on the things that we wish we had instead of savoring what we do have. And we, for the most part, all of us have a lot to be grateful for. Definitely. And I'm curious if you have any tips, sort of lifestyle tips to allow an individual to become more grateful, to become more present, whether I know you mentioned writing and journaling. I think that's a really great outlet. Are there any other tips that you typically recommend to your clients? Yeah, the, well, the gratitude journal is a great place to start. And the, the other one that I've really loved lately is a gratitude visit. And that is to, so first find someone in your life who maybe they did something really important for you, but you didn't get to thank them the way that you saw fit to thank them. Write that person a letter and then call them or FaceTime them and read them the letter. I promise you, if you do that and you write a heartfelt letter to that person, then you are going to shift immediately into a place of gratitude. Another thing to do to get more present, there's a lot of really good meditation apps out there, is to do that. So maybe the Calm app, the Insight app I use, and Headspace are three good apps to start with for meditation. I know meditation can feel a little out there for people that are not you know, well immersed into the wellness field, but if you take 10 minutes of time to focus on yourself and just get a little more connection with your breath, those are easy recommendations to follow. Definitely. And thank you for those. And I'm sure a lot of people will find those useful. And like you mentioned, with writing the letter and calling or FaceTiming someone and reading it to them, I think that also creates a domino effect and encourages the other person to do that for someone else. Yes, exactly. That's the hope. I hope that if I do that for someone, then they're inspired to then tell other people how much they mean to them in their life. Because really, at the end of the day, those are the most important things. It's having the good connections in our life. And it's great to have money and all the financial needs and material stuff in the world. But at the end of the day, we really are mostly focused on who we have around us, the, the simple experiences of life. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Now, we know that the way that you start your day is really important in how the rest of your day will go. So I'm really curious what your morning routine looks like. My mornings are sacred to me. I wake up early in the morning. I like to make sure that I have at least an hour and a half to two hours to myself. So I wake up, I immediately take a shower and end it with a cold shower. So I love to do the cold shower, instantly get myself out of the comfort zone to start the day. 
Once I do that, then I meditate for about 15 minutes. My meditation practice is really simple. I just follow my breath. I have a mantra that I repeat to myself. And if I get distracted off of that, then I come back, which I inevitably do. My mind is racing all the time. But I think if you just take the 15 minutes and if you get off track and come back to your breath, then that's all you really need to do for basics. Once I do that, I have about 10 to 15 minutes of journaling for the day. So I write down three to five things that I'm grateful for. I have maybe my one or two most important things that I have to take care of for the day because I think it's really easy to get stuck in, oh, I have a million things to do, but it's really more important to focus on like, if I just had to accomplish one or two things today, what are those two things? So I make sure I get those down. I write down two beliefs of how I want to show up for the day. And then after that, I do a little bit of movement. And right now I'm dealing with a back injury. So I do physical therapy for about a half hour. And if I have a little more time after that, I love to read, read something that's inspirational for about 10 minutes. That sounds like a great morning routine. And I'm glad that you mentioned making a task list. That's a lot shorter than, than most people do because you know when you have this long to-do list, it's very easy to get discouraged and to sort of get overwhelmed. But when you just have a few of the key things you have to do, it definitely sets you up for success because it's a lot more approachable. Absolutely. And that's uh, Gary Keller is the person who taught me that principle. It's if you ask yourself the question, what is the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary? I think we spend so much time focusing on the million things instead of focusing on the one thing. So if you focus on that, you're going to be more conscious of your time and more productive. Definitely. And you mentioned that you like to read, you know, even just 10 minutes from an inspirational book. So I'm curious if you have any favorites or any that you're currently reading right now. This is a perfect book to start your morning with. I'm actually reading it through a second time right now because they're all, each chapter is one to three pages, and they're all just good life lessons. It's by Robin Sharma, and it's called Who Will Cry When You Die? So the title comes across as a little bit heavy, but it's really just got a bunch of simple life lessons that you can take. So that's, that's where I got the gratitude visit from. Other stuff is say hi to a stranger, build your ideal neighborhood. So who are some people that if you were to construct your neighborhood, who would you want to live on your block? stuff like that. So there's a bunch of good life lessons. I would recommend that book to start your day for sure. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because I was talking to my astrologist last night and we know that, you know, you're equivalent to the five people that you surround yourself with. And he was just reading my chart and he was mentioning how you really need to focus on who you're surrounding yourself with, even simply to how different their habits may be to yours, because that can of course affect and transcend your routine and your values. So I do really think it's important to take a close look at the people around you, your friends, your circle, and know who you should maybe distance yourself from. And the beautiful thing about that, first of all, I couldn't agree more. And second of all, if you want to surround yourself with people that you don't necessarily have the physical proximity to, you can consider the people that you listen to podcasts by or read from as those five, the average of your five people. So it doesn't need to be someone that you're necessarily talking to. It can also be the ideas that you're surrounding yourself with or the people that you look up to and whose work you follow. It's about what you fill in your mind and in your subconscious that I think really matters most. Absolutely. Yeah. And it seems like obviously you're still a super young guy, but you've had a lot of 
important life experiences and it seems like you've learned a lot of lessons. And so I'm curious that if you could go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self, what would that advice be? It would be really simple. It would be stop worrying so much about what other people think of you and live your own truth. And I spent the majority of my life, I'm 29 years old, and I've, I've spent the majority of my life worried about if I do this, how is it going to look to other people? And I'm glad that I caught the, that perspective now. You know, it, it didn't happen at a later age. But if I could go back to my 20-year-old self, I would tell him, be authentic and true to yourself and don't worry about what other people are thinking of you. Because if you're being authentic, then you're going to surround yourself with the right people anyway. That's a really important lesson. And that's something that I've struggled with for a lot of my life as well. And I still do struggle with that. And I think it kind of comes with the field or profession that I'm going to be in because usually as people who try to help other people, you usually tend to care a lot about others, which I think is great. But you also have to make sure that you know who you are. And that's why I really like the tips that you gave of getting out of your comfort zone. Because again, asking someone, you know, can I have a 10% discount? They may respond or most likely will respond with a no, but them saying no is not an indication of who you are as a person. 100%. Yes. It's something that we all probably struggle with to some degree. We, of course, we care about what other people think. And that, like you said, in, in a service type of profession, we it serves as a strength. We, we want to care about how we're helping other people. But if it comes at the expense of being your true self, then that's where the problems arise. So that's the advice I would give to myself and to any 20-year-old. That's great advice. Now I'm curious if a client came to see you and you were only able to recommend three of the most important things that they can incorporate into their lifestyle, what would those three things be? Wow, that's a great question. I think one is the importance of community. So if you are not surrounded by people who are, are living the type of life that you want to have or that have the same interests as you, then step one would be try and find that sort of connection. Find your tribe. Find the people that you can really relate to. Number two, tell the people that you love that you love them every day. And number three, do something simple that gives you joy every day. And I need to give myself that advice more than anyone. I get very stuck in the day-to-day. I need to be doing more. I need to be building my brand. I need to be doing this. Take some time to do something that you enjoy every single day, even if it's just for two minutes. Yeah, I think that's really great advice because obviously, you know, if you have a lot of ambition, it's great, but you also do want to do everything in your life in a sustainable way so that, you know, you have longevity and you also enjoy the process. So I think it is important to give yourself time to focus on some other passions that you have and aside from your career. Yes, 100%. So if you could have tea with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I would have tea with Mahatma Gandhi because I aspire to his leadership style. I really love the way that he carried himself. And he, without having to speak a lot or to be your type A type of leader, he had an aura and calmness about him that you were just drawn to him without him even speaking. And I, I'm very drawn to the, the quiet, calming leader who inspired people through his actions without needing to give rah-rah type of speeches or anything. And someone who truly made commitments to being a really good person, to growing, and to helping other people to just be a really genuinely good person. So I would have tea with Mahatma Gandhi. 
And he also set his leadership through example, which I think is really important. Really important. And I don't think he ever compromised who he was to get to where he was. That's that's exactly what made him the, the type of leader that he was. He was true to his beliefs and it never came at the expense of, I'll do this little shortcut to get more famous or anything like that. So he was true to himself, I'm sure, from well before he was was famous. And yeah. I admire that. Yeah, I do too. I think it's super important to always remember where you come from and to always remain true to your values and your mission. Because I think that, you know, on your journey to to success and to growing, there's obviously going to be, you know, a lot of different people that you encounter in a lot of different situations where you might feel the pressure to transform and adapt to be whether it's the most liked or the most successful. But I do think it's super, super important to always remain true to your core values, even when it's not the easier option to take. Yes. And that's the sign of a true leader right there is, is someone who's able to, who knows their core values and will not deviate from them just to make the quick buck or to get more engagement on a certain post or anything like that. Absolutely. Now we know that a lot of people can benefit from working with a health coach like yourself. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, I know you also have a social media where you share a lot of great tips. Where can people reach you? They can find me at my website. It's www.miketrugman.com. My Instagram is my trug of choice. My LinkedIn is just my name, Michael Trugman. And you can also find me on Facebook, Michael Trugman or Mike Trugman Health Coaching. Amazing. And we definitely urge everyone to reach out to you because as healthy and as health conscious as you might be, we all have a lot of lifestyle improvements that we could make. Yes, we can, including myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're uh, all constantly learning and growing. And I want to thank you so much for being so open with us and telling us about your journey and what you're currently working on. And you you shared so many great tips with us that I know we both will benefit from tremendously. And I'm sure that everyone out there listening will as well. Thank you, Jonathan and Lorena, for having me. It really, it means a lot to me that you had me on. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I think that you guys have a really beautiful and great product. And I look forward to supporting your mission to help make the world a healthier, better place. Thank you so much for joining us on that episode with Mike Trugman. Mike is an amazing holistic health coach, and he shared some really valuable knowledge with us today. He also shared some great lifestyle tips that we could all start incorporating into our routines. I really like the concept of getting comfortable feeling uncomfortable, and I encourage everyone to try to do one thing this week that leaves you feeling uncomfortable to learn how great it actually feels to take a risk and try something new. As always, you could send us any emails or questions to podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com. You could also get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.